Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, the Packers coming off of a 24-22 victory on Christmas Day over the Cleveland Browns. Once again, too close for comfort, as we've talked about um, several weeks here. And we'll get to how this game got so close and how the Packers did pull it out. But we have to start with... Number 443, Aaron Rodgers breaks Brett Favre's franchise record four touchdown passes in the regular season, and it goes to number 13, Al Lazard. So we're all back on Zoom now. You were over in the head coach Zoom. I was in the Aaron Rodgers, Alan Lazard Zoom. Post-game we're talking. Post-game. And the thing that hit me the most as I'm watching this and, and thinking about it is Aaron Rodgers at 38 years old and reflecting upon – the first round pick from 2005 when I was a senior in high school. And the, as I think Rogers even said a couple times, like his NFL career is almost an adult at this point. And, you know, our video department did a fantastic job with the video montage of his touchdown passes. And Absolutely. The, the message from Brett Favre. But I even wrote about his path to 443, but it wasn't until it actually happened that it kind of hits you like, man, like, there's still some, you know, Kobe Bryant had that great line, and I think it was 2010 about how, you know, we've won, we're going to win some more, and let's play until, we're going to play until June, let's keep going. It's still like that with Rodgers, but it starts to, when you think of all the memories and all the accomplishments and, and the things that he's done at just an incredible level for 17 years, the, the, the hitting 443 just hits different. And for Alan Lazard to, to lay out the way he did, you could tell he wanted that one, man. I mean, <laughs> he said it wasn't a big deal. They weren't talking about it. But once that ball was in his hands, he had just a heat seeker for that pylon. And Rodgers joked about how he had to wait a second because he wasn't sure if it was one of those things where they just ruled it a touchdown so they could review it and then, and then make a decision for there. But, you know, Lucas Patrick gives him this massive bear hug. The offensive linemen just maul him, and, and history is made. So an incredible accomplishment and certainly one that, as Rodgers even said, kind of brought a few tears to his eyes. Yeah, absolutely. And Rodgers ends up finishing this game with 445 touchdown passes. He ends up throwing two more, both of those going to Devontae Adams. And I have to say this, Wes, there, there are some things in the statistical realm both with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams that start that start to blow your mind a little bit. And Rodgers even used, I believe he used the phrase mind-blowing when it yeah. comes to the stuff that Devontae Adams is doing. He ends up with 10 catches for 114 yards and two touchdowns. For starters, that is the eighth time in his career that Devontae Adams has had double-digit receptions, 100-plus yards, and multiple touchdowns in a game. And that is an NFL record. Nobody in the history of this great league has done that. But the other stuff that really starts to get interesting, Adams now has 106 catches, 1,362 yards, and 10 touchdowns on the season. It's the fifth time in his career he's, he's had double-digit touchdowns on the year. But with the 106 catches and 1,362 yards, he is really closing in on the franchise records for a single season. He had the 115 receptions last year, which he did in 14 games, of course. And then he's, so he's only 10 catches away from breaking his own mark there. And then Jordy Nelson in 2014 had 1,519 receiving yards. 
Adams needs just 158 over these last two games to break that mark, and he would actually break that in 16 games, as Nelson said it, because um, Adams did miss a game earlier this year. You, you, look, you look at these numbers and what Devontae Adams is doing, prefacing, this all is to preface, of course, that Aaron Rodgers actually went on record and said, Devontae Adams is the best football player he's ever played with. And that's saying something. It's saying a lot. You know, when you look at he even he reflected on it. You know, Brett Favre, Charles Woodson, the guy that he credited a long time as being the best guy, Jordy Nelson. He doesn't say that lightly. And he and it was one of those things he wasn't just trying to say it to say it. He mentioned he already told Devontae this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And there's a part of it that's poetic. Rodgers has been talking about it being a, rom- a lot of romanticism about football this year. All these incredible receivers that Rodgers has played with, starting his career with Donald Driver, the franchise's all-time leading receiver, Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, James Jones, Randall Cobb. And then here comes this kid from Fresno that had really prolific numbers in college, but yet was still a second-round pick, like a lot of his predecessors in Green Bay. And this might be the one that ends up being the Hall of Famer. And this is where you start to think about these things because there's a long road to go here. And Devontae, I think, understands. He, he knows what he has to accomplish here in the next three, four, five, six seasons to, to be considered in that. It's exclusive company. It's tough to get in the hall as a receiver, especially in this day and age. Yeah. But I think it would be apropos for Rodgers in what will be an undisputed, unanimous first ballot selection into Canton someday to actually have a receiver that goes on that journey with them. As good as Jordy, as good as Jennings, as good as all these guys were, this is the guy that was the one that was a cut above. And, and what I love about it the most is Devontae is basically a sum of all the parts. He can make the, the circus catches like Jordy does. He, he, you know, his routes are precise. You, know, you see some of the stop route concepts. You see shades of James Jones in that, being able to work across the middle like Greg Jennings and, and Randall Cobb did. And I feel like the more you watch him play, the more you gain an appreciation for what makes him great. The fact that he had another 10-catch game. Mike, I remember the, one of the first times he did it, you and I kind of were like, oh, wow, he has 10 catches, 12 catches. That's interesting. Yeah. Now the guy just does it like it's old hat. Yeah. I mean, he's a special, special And he does it player. without having 20 passes thrown his way. Now, not every single Ten of ball 13. Yeah. to Devontae Adams is, is completed, but when you look at the ratio of the targets – to the receptions, it's it's pretty darn impressive. Getting back to this game in particular, 24 to 22 over the Browns. I don't know how you can describe this game any other way than to say both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball for the Packers, it was it was a Jekyll and Hyde type of performance. You look at the offense, there's a stretch there where the Packers capitalizing on the turnovers the defense was getting. The Packers score three touchdowns and a field goal in a span of five possessions. 24 points in a span of five possessions, that's pretty good. You're at 24 points midway through the third quarter. You're right where you want to be. Then suddenly, the offense goes three possessions and gets one total first down, going three and out twice and then getting one first down before having to give the ball up. Similarly, on the defensive side, you have a defense – that gets four interceptions and five sacks, all kinds of big plays, the types of things that you're looking for. But at the same time, 218 rushing yards allowed, over 400 total yards allowed. The Browns were 7 out of 12 on third down, and four of those seven conversions 
when they needed six plus yards in order to convert, which is where the defense should have the advantage. It, it, there, there was there was this Jekyll and Hyde component to both sides of the ball for the Packers in this game. The bottom line is they came out with the win. Rasul Douglas with the big interception, obviously, with 43 seconds left in regulation when the Browns were whatever they were, 15 or 20 yards from a realistic field goal for a possible 25 to 24 steal it at Lambeau um, type of scenario. The Packers won the game, but there's uh, there's just a lot of uneven unevenness in the team's play right now. Before we go into the unevenness, because there's some unevenness to sort out, is there ever a game that epitomizes the importance of protecting the football than this one? Oh, my goodness. Baker Mayfield throws four interceptions for the first time in his career. First time Packers have four interceptions, I believe, since 2016 against Russell Wilson. That against, was a fun game. Yeah, the five, the five interceptions against Wilson yeah. at Lambeau Field. First time three interceptions in the first half since 2011 against Oakland slash Vegas. Then Oakland. Yeah. The Packers generate 21 points off those turnovers. They only score 24 points in the game. It, it is such a great reminder of at the end of the day – you can pass, you can run, you can do all these things great. If you turn over the football, it's going to come back to haunt you. Yeah. No, no what I was going to say is because, you know, we, we, we get fed, and, and Packer Nation as a whole, if you follow things on Packers.com, the dope sheet and all that kind of stuff, we get fed a lot of really interesting statistics from Tom Fanning, Nate Lacasio, and the communications department. They have, uh, they have like a hotline to the Elias Sports Bureau, yeah. I like to say. We don't have that necessarily. But when they want to check on something, figure out where it fits historically, right? Here's the question I want to know. How often, how often is a team's turnover margin in the game larger than the margin of victory? That's crazy. 4-0 in turnovers, but you win the game by two points. As I wrote about on Saturday night after the game, in my post-game editorial, that's not how this is supposed to work. You go 4-0 in turnovers, you're supposed to be in much greater command of the football game, but this one almost got away from Green yeah, Bay. Yeah, and fortunately for Green Bay, they didn't give the ball up at any inopportune times. Nick Chubb, Mike, I, I, you can, Marv can play back all of our clips from last week. <laughs> we talked about how dangerous this guy is. Yeah, how many times did we say the key to the game was to, was to contain Nick Chubb? And, and uh, yeah, he was... He was a monster. And you want to talk about, you know, the 4-0. I would love to see the splits with what Cleveland did inside their own 50 as opposed to what it looked like once they got into Packers territory. Because for whatever reason, the closer they got to the end zone, the more they got away from Chubb. Chubb was really got them going on a lot of series. Still only carried the ball, what, five times in the first half. It was almost like... Cleveland was operating the entire game like it was in a two-minute offense situation and didn't want to commit to Chubb. The, the second half was really interesting because the Packers started shifting more to their dime package. They started going to more of their sub-personnel. Cleveland had a really good you know, opportunity to run against it in that circumstance. You still want to be able to defend against the run when you have six DBs on the field, but the Packers are having trouble with it. But every single time it seemed like when Baker Mayfield dropped back to pass in the middle of the field – Bad things were happening. So I'm sure Stefanski and, and Alex Van Pelt are going to go back and look at that film and be really disappointed in how this game played out retrospective to what Ernest Johnson and also, as we talked about, Chubb were producing. But that that's for Green Bay. I think this is probably has to just be a massive wake-up call for them because it's a reminder of what can happen when you face an elite running 
back. And yeah. it could happen this Sunday with, with Minnesota if Delvin Cook is back because teams are going to look at this now and be like, okay, well, if we protect the football and can run the way that Cleveland ran, we can give this team some problems. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's, that's, what, that's what teams are going to. If, if you have the type of running tech that you can rely on, that's, uh, that's how teams are going to digest this game when they're looking at the film of the Browns playing 30, at Lambeau Field. 36 passes for Baker Mayfield, 21 runs for Chubb and Johnson in that game. That's hard. That's hard to. That's, that's how you lose explain. a football game. Yeah, that's hard to explain. The thing, the the way this game unfolded, though, it was interesting because because there were there were so many little moments. Maybe they didn't seem like they were huge at the time per se, but right off the bat, the Browns miss an extra point. Yeah. Right. So then on their second touchdown, they go for two, trying to chase that point, and they don't get it. So that's two PATs that were blown, and of course, then the the final margin of the game is two points. The drive um, early, I believe it was early in the fourth quarter, at least it carried over into the fourth quarter. The Browns are down by nine. Mm -hmm. They are in Green Bay territory, closing in on scoring territory, but then all of a sudden a false start puts them in a tough down and distance situation, and then bang, bang, back-to-back sacks, Preston Smith, Dean Lowry, they get back-to-back sacks, and the Browns go from you, you looking at at least trying a field goal to make it a one-score game with plenty of fourth-quarter time still on the clock to then they're out of field goal range, and they end up, they end up punting the football. They get nothing yeah. out of that possession, and it remains at nine points. It remains a two-score game until well into, uh, into the fourth quarter before the Browns then do make it a one-score game with, uh, with a touchdown later on in the fourth. So there were some... There were some moments that don't necessarily make the uh, make the the final highlight reel a play like Rasul Douglas with yeah. 43 seconds left, but there were there were moments where there were moments where th- this game really kind of turned and there, there there were some some key happenings that uh, that played into the Packers' hands. Well, and then the other aspect of it too that I look at is Preston Smith. There's so many times in the National Football League, Mike Smith, you want to get him going and talk about sacks, right? And Packers <laughs> yeah. outside linebackers coach doesn't want to talk about sacks. What I love about what Preston Smith has done this year, though, is he has eight sacks on the season. I would argue all eight of them are well-earned and came at critical points. I understand there was one that could be labeled as garbage time, I think, against Chicago. But the guy played exceptional for the first three and a half quarters. That ended up leading to a fourth-quarter sack. But the guy, every single time he makes a play and gets to the quarterback, it seems to affect the game. And it happened again here because, yes, you get the false start. But as we saw early on in the game, Cleveland was able to convert the third and 15, I believe it was. They were able to find their way back from it. He gets that sack. They're thinking, okay, well, maybe we can potentially make a run at this thing again. Here comes Dean Lowry in their face. Yeah. Now it's fourth and 22. They're thinking, hey, maybe we'll still go for it. And then they get yet another penalty, and they're like, you know what, we'll, we'll go with the punt. We'll, yeah, let's fourth punt and now. 27, we'll punt it now. We don't have yeah. the fourth and 27 play drawn. Fourth <laughs> and 22, it only gets us 23. we got to punt in this situation. But uh, lightheartedness aside, fourth quarter, every single second counted there as it played out. Yes, yeah. the Packers got the ball back and went three and out. There were some injuries there with Yash Nyman. But those are the type of – drive-eating, time-eating plays that I think ultimately ended up kind of swinging this thing in Green Bay's favor. Yeah, on on the offensive side of the ball, obviously it was frustrating. You know, Aaron Rodgers clearly said it after the game, Matt LaFleur too, they've got to figure out a way to close out 
to close out games offensively because there was the costly three and out in Baltimore the previous week yep. when uh, when the Packers had uh, uh, you know the drive that was between Baltimore's two touchdowns there late in the game. This time it was it was back to back three and outs. Now okay, the first one you try and end around it doesn't work. You lose a bunch of yards. You get in bad down and distance. Okay. The second one was the second one was unsettling in a sense. Now this is where Ben Braden had stepped in yep. at left tackle. Yash Nyman was getting looked at uh, temporarily, briefly there in the medical tent. But you got seven yards on first down on a first down run by Aaron Jones. You're in second and three. Now that's not to say that this drive was was going to you know go all the way down the field and the Packers were going to you know score the clinching points. But to end up going three and out there when you were in second and three, third and two. Um, they ran the ball again twice with Jones on second and three and weren't able to get it. And then on the following possession, after they did get one first down, then Devontae Adams is wide open on third and six down the Packers' sideline, but he loses the ball in the lights. Um, I mean, we saw him drop that. You and I are looking at each other in the press box going, we haven't seen a drop like that since, what, 2015, yeah. six years ago, you know? And then he, he said after With the game, the he, and he, almost reluctantly, he almost reluctantly admitted that he lost the ball in the lights because he didn't want it to come off like an excuse, but he's just being honest. And Devontae yeah. is as honest as there is. Um, with the media, and he, and, and he says, I still got to make that play. I make that play 10 times out of nine. I loved that line. Um, but he lost the ball in the lights. And so for my, my point here is that for all, of the, for all of the angst and everything about how the offense wasn't able to close this thing out, they weren't really that far away from being able to do it, is what I'm saying. You had a second and three. You were right there in position to get a first down there and to move the chains. And you had Devontae Adams wide open on a third down, and yeah. just luck of the draw, the ball got, you know, the ball went into the, the line of the lights, and he couldn't quite haul it in. This offense is not that far away from being able to do what it needs to do down the stretch in game. And it wasn't just that they went second and threw it that Aaron Jones carried. They did it the next series with A.J. Dillon, too. Right. Dillon gets seven yards on his first carry, gets six after that. That's what ended up leading into the play that, that ended up being the third down miss to, to Devontae. He, here's the thing. And I, I made this point on a, a local radio show I did with uh, renowned personality Mark Daniels on Monday. What I love about this incarnation of the Packers, the 2011 Packers, the 2021 Packers. There we go. 2011. My goodness, I'm back in. You're back in ridiculous. college. Uh, <laughs> is the fact that this team, Mike, knows how to win in the fourth quarter as a team. It hasn't always been that way. It's not always easy to do that. So as disappointing as it was for them to not get that pass to Devontae, Devontae to get lost in the lights, to drop that ball, here comes the defense a defense that had been going through a lot of issues there in the second half, had been giving up a lot of yards, and Rasul Douglas is the one to step up. I loved what Douglas said after the game because he was basically asked, hey, you guys, are, you're reeling a little bit. Devontae drops that. What's your mindset as you're going back on the field with now Cleveland has a chance to, re to take this lead? They have a chance for a two-minute drive to, to pull ahead because, as you mentioned, they're only down two. And Rasul Douglas is like, this is what we're here for. Yeah. This is our moment. And he comes up with his second pick of the game. Sometimes it's going to be Devontae Adams making that catch and A.J. Dillon running it out with a four-minute offense. Sometimes it's going to be the defense stepping up. This team, Mike, in a season where there has been so many close games down the stretch, the Packers, with the exception of one game in Minneapolis, know how to win those games. I think that's going to be pivotal going into the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. This, this team, both, both from a schedule perspective – 
the teams that they have played, and from the way these games have unfolded, this team is going to be as battle-tested as you could ask for come playoff time. I totally agree with that. I need to take care of some sponsor business, Wes. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl, Cousin Subs. We believe in better. All right, big picture here. The Packers are 12-3 and with two games to go. They have a one-game lead on the Dallas Cowboys, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Los Angeles Rams, who are all 11-4. and The one everyone's watching the closest, of course, is the Dallas Cowboys because they would have the tiebreaker on the Packers because of their NFC record. The Cowboys have only lost one game to an NFC opponent all season, and that was way back in week one to the defending Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Boy, Buccaneers. that was close too. What's that? That was a that was right down to the wire. In yeah, that it was. Too. It was. It, that was a uh, that was a down to the final possession game as well. So the scenario is this: the Packers, obviously, as we've been saying for a couple of weeks now, if the Packers win out, they get the number one seed. If the Packers get to 14 wins, nobody else in the NFC can get to 14 wins. If the Packers can do that, they will have the number one seed, the first round by, and the home field advantage. The other thing that will be interesting to watch, though, here is this week with the Packers playing on Sunday night against the Minnesota Vikings, 325 Sunday afternoon is the Dallas Cowboys against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the Cardinals are reeling a little bit. Three weeks ago, they were the number one. They were in the number one spot in the NFC, but they have now lost three games in a row to fall to 10 and five. But they will be taking on the Cowboys. If the Cardinals can snap their losing streak, and hand the Cowboys a fifth loss, the Packers would then take the field Sunday night at Lambeau, knowing that a win locks up the number one seed with uh, with a week left to go. So those are the th- that's the scenario where things stand right now. Professor Spofford, yes. Professor Spofford, because here's where I've struggled with this, and I want you to, to, to help me with this. I know I'm putting you on the spot. I hope you're smart enough. I know you are to be able to, to – I've heard this a lot, though, of why Green Bay is able to close it out. Why would that be that they could actually close it out against Minnesota? Why would that last game against Detroit then become, quote-unquote, irrelevant in terms of the playoff picture? Because, because the – because the Cowboys would have five losses if they were to lose, if they were to lose, and if the Packers were to win, the worst the Packers would have would be four losses. Four losses. And the Buccaneers and Rams already have four losses. The best they can do is thirteen and four. And if they finish tied with Green Bay, the Packers, the Packers have the tiebreaker okay. on both of those teams based on a better NFC conference record. And if it ends up a one-to-one tie. With the Rams, the Packers would have the head-to-head, the head-to-head. with okay. the Rams. So that's why. Because the Bucks' four losses were against the NFC. Correct. That's why you're Mike Spofford, Correct. and I am very much not. Thank you very much for that. But, yeah, but the bottom, li- the bottom line is everybody in Packer Nation will be watching that Cowboys-Cardinals game leading up to the primetime game against the Vikings wow. because, because if – if the Cowboys lose, the Packers can clinch the number one seed with a victory over the Vikings. But if the Cowboys win, the shoe is on the other foot in a sense because then 
Cowboy Nation is watching Packers-Vikings pulling for the Vikings yeah. because if the Packers were to lose, then the Cowboys jump into the Catbird seat because of that conference record tiebreaker heading into Week 18. So if the Cowboys don't lose, the Packers need to win to maintain their position and to go into Detroit in Week 18 still with the opportunity to lock it down themselves. We probably should review these games, and I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because you know Thursday is for – previewing the upcoming opponent. Right. Have you ever thought of a scenario where there are such high stakes going into a weekend? And what I mean by that isn't just Green Bay and Dallas. Arizona needs to pick itself up off the mat. Oh, my goodness. I yeah. mean, a team that was at 1.7-0 and 0 now is at risk of falling to 10-6. and 6. I mean, that is, that's a tough way for that season to go for the cards, especially with the expectations levied upon them earlier this season. From, from Green Bay's perspective, though, the way I look at this, Mike, is to win, it was an old Mike McCarthy theory. If you're going to win, if you're going to get a bye in a different time, you have to win and you have to take care of business in your division. The Green Bay Packers have two NFC North matchups against opponents that on paper you should beat. I already know I think the Packers are significant favorites over the Vikings in this matchup. Whatever those different scenarios are, it really does come down to you taking business and you're taking care of business within your division and then you get the conference's ultimate prize. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, um, it's all out there for Green Bay, and we'll talk more about uh, about all the the games, the rest of the games on the slate in Week 17 in the NFL. I'm still going to have a hard time saying Week 17, but not thinking it's the last. The I mean, yeah, and I'm going to have a hard time I'm, during I'm Week 18. I'm struggling. I'm struggling with that. It's why I always have to think about what is the week number because now Week 18 is the last one. But anyway. It's, like time I said, to, it's time to go. I joked with you before. Just be happy you probably will be retired by the time week 19 gets here. So <laughs> All right. I with won't be. That, with that, we're calling it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team. We've got it all for you on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.